Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is on Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and is titled, What the Lord Requires of Us, Part 2. Let's see what we've got today. See what God has for us. Micah 6, 8, we were in Micah, same place, chapter 6, and ended in verse 8 last time, and we talked about the three requirements that God has there. We're going to be looking at those individually. We looked at um, doing justice, and uh, this week we're going to be moving on uh, to the next one. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, this is not new information, uh, God is saying to the Israelites, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Do it. To love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Last time I said we were together, we began looking at this whole lawsuit that God had brought against his people because they had broken his covenant. And the way they had broken his covenant is not because they weren't faithful in the religiosity side of the things that he commanded them to do, but because, uh, well, like I said, they, he indicts them and they, be, are, they, are, they start looking at their, well, I've, I've not missed a worship service and I've, not, I've given my tithing is up from last year and all this stuff, and God was like, no, 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 no. My problem isn't with your religious side. My problem is with you, personally. Your heart. Your, 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 the way you relate to people and the way you're relating to me is way out of kilter. And so that's the reason why he's bringing this indictment, this lawsuit against them. And God gave them a reminder here of the, what mattered most to him and he's, of his requirements. He's boiled them down to three major headings. Of course, there's way more than this. But God, uh, it's not that hard to figure out. It's hard to do. But it's real simple to follow God. As a child of God, God says, these are the requirements. And if you would add, if we could add these things to our lives in the way that they're intended here, in the way they're spoken of in scriptures, our life would be, in many cases, so different, so radically different. And so would the world that we come in contact with, which is even an even more important thing, I would suggest to you. Because we're sent here to make a difference, right? To be light and salt in the world we're given and put placed in. Last time we focused on doing justly. And this week we're going to be looking at loving mercy. Uh, there was a man who went to a, a photo uh, shop, went to a photo place, and uh, trying to get a picture of himself to put on his, his uh, business card. And he went in and the man put him in the little booth and took pictures of him and, and uh, set him up several ways. And then he set him down after he was done. He set him down in front of a computer screen to look at the different ones and pick which one he wanted. He went through all of them and he started getting the scowl on his face. And he said, none of these pictures do me justice, he said. And the, the photographer was in the background under his breath. He says, yeah, with a face like yours, you don't need justice. You need mercy, he said. <laughs> Justice and mercy, right? We looked at justice last time, mercy this time. The world, guys, needs both. They need people who will stand for that which is just, and also people who will show the mercy, who will extend the mercy of God through their lives. And so that's what we're going to be considering today. And I find it also very interesting, just as an aside, although it's not, uh, and instructed that the big three lists that God boils it down to here of the two of the three have nothing to do with how we relate directly to God. Two of the three have everything to do with how we relate directly to each other. So God boils down all the stuff he wants you to do, the three things, and two of the three have to do with the way you treat people? Yep. God puts a premium on our relationships with people. And may I suggest you do the same thing? If you want to honor God with your life, 
Uh, we, we talk ourselves into, oh, well, I'm, I'm right with God, even though, you know, I've burned a lot of people. Well, no, you're not right with God. No, you're not. No, you're not, because God won't let you be. Because he puts a premium on our relationships with people. Too many times we think that we're good with God, even though we're not good with people. And this passage certainly stands as a correction to that type of living, does it not? Consider Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Jesus speaking, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, that's religious, isn't it? That's sacrifice, right? They were required to do that, weren't they? It wasn't that it was wrong to do that. But notice, it's wrong if you have the order wrong. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, it doesn't say that they had a good reason. And it doesn't say that you've done anything necessarily. It just means there's an issue. Go, what? Leave your gift where there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. He puts a premium on our relationships with each other. And, and John even puts it more uh, stringently, I guess you could say, with regards to how we relate to the people that we can see as opposed to how we relate to the God that we cannot see. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. So like I said, we're patting ourselves on the back and saying, I'm good with God. Got a lot of offended people out there because of me and I'm not doing nothing about that, but I'm good with God. Um, in the words of John, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Swallow hard because we all need to swallow it. It's important that we get it. The people of Micah days got tired of acting right and treating people right, so they focused their attention on ritual practices and sacrifices and, and hoping that God would look the other way, the way they treated Okay, I can still be evil and wrong, but because I've been faithful to church, if you will, and I've been faithful to giving and sacrifice, that God will just say, oh, well, you know, she's okay. That's fine. No, he won't. Or, or at the very least, that they could at least assuage their guilt of, of not doing what's right. And one of our biggest tendencies, as an example for just our own day here, is when we're asked about a relationship with God, is to immediately reflect on, well, I don't miss church. Oh, well, I, I, I give. I give more last year, this year than last year. I've, I read my Bible every day, and I'm, I'm not saying that those things are bad and that you shouldn't do them. In fact, I'm saying that you should do them, but I want you to notice carefully if they don't make the list. You're doing all that stuff, and you still haven't done the list. Not one of the things on the list. So, so we start talking about a relationship with God, a relationship with the people, and you start adding up things that don't make the list. Well, your focus is not in the right place. Look at the list. What does it say? Do justice, love, kindness, or mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we're working our way through that list. And here we're on number two. And the last time we saw that God wants us to do justly. And this week, as I said, we're going to be looking at loving mercy. Uh, the word mercy there <clears throat> is a Hebrew word. Of course, the whole thing is Hebrew, right? Old Testament for the most part. It's a Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed, that's not the way it's pronounced. You say the ounce, the H is a guttural, and you have to kind of spit. If you don't spit when you say it, you're not saying it right. I'm not going to do that for you. But um, hesed, it says. It is alternately translated in the Old Testament as unfailing love, as loving kindness, as kindness. Some of your translations translate it different ways. And it's all, those are all good translations. It all refers to the same thing. And we, we see with reference to God on numerous occasions this word hesed or mercy or loving kindness of God. Consider, for instance, Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. So, so Moses asked God, I want to see your glory, effectively. I want to see you. God says, you cannot see my face because no one can live and see me, right? 
but I will pass by in front of you. I will cover you with my hand, he says, and then you will see the backside of me only. And when I pass in front of you, I will proclaim my name. So he does that. He proclaimed it. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. There's that word hesed and truth. God has called you to be like him. Is that the first time you've heard that? conforming you to the image of his son, it says in the New Testament. It's all saying the same thing. He's pushing us. Why? That's our problem. Adam and Eve, they were lied to by the snake, right? The serpent that says, you will be like God. They already were like God. They fell from that because they listened to the snake. We already were. They already were. We're going back to that. You can be sure. What is God's program and will for my life? That you'd be like him. There you go. There you go. Go and prosper. I've predicted your whole life for you. Go ahead. Take off. That's his desire for you. Part of that is his loving kindness. And that's, again, one of these big three here that he's boiled things down to us for. Uh, Exodus 34, here's another one about God. Psalm 86. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy. There it is. Hesed. He abounds in this. Uh, To all those who call upon, to all those who call upon you. Numbers 14. The Lord is slow to anger. Abounding in love, there it is again. It's always an abundance of this stuff. It's always an abundance. However we translate it, loving kindness, love, mercy, uh, God's got a lot of it, and he wants you to be producing a lot of it. He's expecting that of us. Forgiving sin and rebellion, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. Uh, Lamentations 3. The Lord's loving kindnesses is kind of hard to say. Uh, Plural. He's got all kinds of this stuff. Plurals, multiples of, of that. That word hesed. Indeed, never cease for his compassions, never fail, it says. God is calling us to this. He's, he's pushing us this way. There was a, a teacher in Sunday school class who was asking her young students. She says, can someone tell me the difference between kindness and loving kindness? The little girl raised her hand. Oh, 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 me, 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 me. She called on her. She says, okay, sweetie, what's kindness? She said, kindness is when you ask your mommy for toast and she gives you toast okay mom's being kind to you that's correct she says now can you explain to me loving kindness she says yes ma'am i can loving kindness is when you ask your mommy for toast and she gives you toast with butter and jam on it (laughs) and that's really good theology actually because that's what this is it is the, the word hesed or loving kindnesses or mercy or abounding in love, as it's saying there in the several verses we consider, is, is exactly what you would not expect would happen. It's not what you would expect. It's not what you ask for, but it's beyond that. And that's what this is. God is calling us to do stuff that no one would expect. I would say no one does. Calling us to be people whom the natural person is not. No one naturally does the things that God is calling you to do and me to do. He's calling us through the power of his Holy Spirit, by the anointing of of his Spirit, to go and be people that we wouldn't be otherwise, we wouldn't be any other way. That's the call he has for us. That's that chesed, that's that that, uh, loving kindness, that's the mercy that he's calling us to. You could expect kindness, for instance, for a person toward his family, toward those who are his friends, or to someone who's done something for him. A, A return in kindness, right? That's expected. That's not what this says. He's asking you to do the unexpected. He's asking you to go above and beyond, not what they ask, not what they deserve, 
not what they owe you or not what you owe them, but something that would be unexpected. He's calling you to be, live a life that is unexpected. I can't believe she did that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that aw- isn't it great? Bring glory to God by the way that you live. I can't believe that he did that. I wouldn't have expected it from him. There you go. Now you're in the realm of the things that God is asking us to do. The New Testament definition of mercy, of course, is not getting what you do deserve. And, of course, we understand that. I hope you do. Uh, You deserve to be punished by God. But God not only is not punishing you, he's forgiving you. He's not only not giving you hell, he's going to give you heaven. That is chesed. That's unexpected. That is mercy. And and maybe the greatest example, the greatest story we have in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is the story of the Good Samaritan. You want to talk about chesed. You want to talk about loving kindness. You want to talk about mercy. Watch what this guy did. How many of you learned the story of, like I did, of the Good Samaritan when you were about three? I didn't buy, I've been in church all my life. It's like one of the first stories you hear, right? Jesus died for your sins, and the Good Samaritan stopped and helped somebody. Man, it's right, they're right behind each other all the time. The, the story of the Good Samaritan is a perfect example of this loving kindness that God has called you to. Of course, you know the story. This Jewish man is traveling down from, and by the way, underline, underscore this, just call him the Good Samaritan is a good title here because as far as any Jew was concerned, there were no Good Samaritans. They hated him. And by the way, it was reciprocated with regards to the, uh, the, the Samaritans with regards to the Jews. There were no good Jews either as far as they were concerned. They were, it was mutual. They were racist, I mean, wholehearted. And they were related to each other. They were, one was half Jewish, and of course the other one was supposedly full Jewish, really whatever that means. And, and they, were, they, were, they were against each other. So the fact that what this guy did was extremely unexpected. So a Jewish man is traveling the 15 miles down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and it's downhill 3,000 feet. And he falls in among thieves. And he's beat up, and everything is stolen, half, uh, half dead. And along come two other Jewish men, first of all, one a Levite and the other one a priest. You would expect that their brother, physically at least, laying there in the road, that they would be willing to help him. What do they do? You know the story since three-year-old, right? They pass by on the other side. Why do they do that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why do they do that? Why do they do that? I want you to think about that for a second. Why do they do that? Because why? Because they have an agenda in Jericho, right? Because they have a job. They're a priest. They're a Levite. These guys have important things to do. Uh, Lots of people are depending on them, aren't they? If they don't make it to Jericho on time, who knows what will happen to the congregation that they're supposed to minister to. And so to, to throw it all away on this guy, certainly God wouldn't want them to do that. Here's a suggestion for you. I think we could have made it easier for them if we had placed on this other side of the road that they traveled on to go around this guy. If we had placed an offering plate over there, I think they would have felt better. What do you think? Why? Because I guarantee you they felt a little bit guilty leaving that guy out there to die. But, but assuage their, you know, their guilt because they knew they had it. But it, we could have helped them a little bit better if had the, had an offering over there and they could have paid for the guy's well-being or at least his funeral. Isn't that right? Let me just say this to you. Sacrificing and giving is not mercy. It's not. It's not chesed. It's not loving kindness. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. 
I'm not saying the guy didn't have expenses. The, the, the good Samaritan that shows up has to pay money. He would have rather come by and found a bucket full of money to help him pay with all the stuff. I mean, it's not that it's bad, but I want, I want to underline this. It's not mercy. It's not. And I say that to say this. We have a tendency, and the, the, we have a tendency as those who are of faith, and it's, it's been a tendency since... Since the time of Micah, since before Micah, it was a tendency in the days of Christ. We're going to see that in just a second. It was a tendency, of course, in the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. We have a tendency to throw money at stuff because it's easier to sacrifice than to have mercy. It's easier to sacrifice than to have mercy. Let's keep thinking about the story. So, so they, they pass by. If we'd left them an offering plate, they'd have felt a little bit better. But a, but a guy shows up. The last person you would ever think that would actually help a Jewish man was this Samaritan. The last guy. But he does the most unexpected thing, demonstrating the loving kindnesses of God in his life by extending that to this man. So he gets this man up off the ground. What happens to his nice clothes? Are they going to get them dirty? What happens to the blood that's coming off of this guy? Yep. Nothing you can do if you're going to show mercy. Now, if you just want to sacrifice and throw some money at him, keep on moving, you get to stay clean, and you keep blood off your clothes. And guess what happens to his mount that he's been riding now? 16 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Who gets to ride on the mount? Who gets to walk? Was this the way he planned his day? No, it was not. Listen to me. Mercy is inconvenient. Was this his agenda as he's traveling down to do business or whatever he's doing down in Jericho? Apparently he's a man of means. He's got money. He can rent a hotel. He puts this man in a place. He pays extra money. He says, if there's any more, I'll come back and pay. He binds his wounds. He anoints him with oil. Think he kept his hands clean and all that? Think, think he had to add one more person to his prayer list? Yeah. That's just what happens, guys, when you show mercy. That's just what happens when loving kindness of God starts flowing through your life. You can't just give money, can you? You can't. What an incredible story of an, an application of what mercy is, this undeserved, unexpected thing that God has called us to. A mother once approached Napoleon Bonaparte in seeking a pardon for her son, and the, the emperor replied that her son had committed a certain offenses a couple of times, and he deserved death. And, and uh, she said, but I don't ask for justice. The justice demanded his death. She said, I don't ask for justice. I ask for mercy. He said to her, your son doesn't deserve mercy. She says, if he deserved it, then it wouldn't be mercy. And it's mercy that I'm asking for. He thought for a second, and then it says that he looked at her and he says, for an answer like that, I will show your son mercy. Pardoned him. That's unexpected, right? Not the natural course, not the natural flow, not how you, you would think it would go. But listen to me, mercy or loving kindness is an action that we take. And the same was true as we saw last time with justice. It's something that we have to do. We have to act on it. It only matures when we do something. It's not enough to feel it in here. All right, I feel like justice is being perverted. I feel like this person needs to have help, all right? But giving someone else money to go and help them, that's not mercy. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to do it yourself. And again, you can't go to everything. You can't help every last person, and I know that. But to do only throw money and not show mercy is to not do what God says. And he boils it down to only three, does he not? So, so 
we saw last time, you've got you've to let your light shine, right? Because we call the light of the world, we're called the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. The key word, the key word for us is the first word, let it. You've got to let it. The light's already on. It's not going to go off. It's been turned on by God. It's been satisfied and set in place because of his son, the sacrifice he's made for you, and because you've trusted him, you're the light of the world. Boom. Now you've got to let it shine. Now it's got to get out. Now you've got to do something. Now you've got to move forward. Now you've got to take a step in the direction and let this light flow. Where do, light, where do we need light? In dark places, right? We get, our, we get upset because the world is getting dark around us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be upset and we shouldn't vote and pray and seek and want things to be different. But there should be another side of us that should say, here we go. Finally, we get to be what we're supposed to be. As long as everything's light and bright, of what good are the lights of the world? Everybody's moral and upright and doing the right thing. And who's going to know the difference between those who are saved and unsaved? Well, nobody. When things start getting dark and really messed up, and really just twisted in every way, then the lights start shining, don't they? And the lights need to understand that. The lights need to understand the job that God has called them to and the position that God has called them to. How important it is. I need to be even that much more careful with my attitude and with my actions as things get darker, as things get, get, get crazier. How much more in the, in the Spirit of God do I need to be more sane about myself and about the way I do things and the way I handle myself. See, i got to let that light shine, especially, especially now as things get darker. Uh, you can, uh, again, it, it, it really gets to the heart of the matter because that's the heart of the matter. It's our hearts, you see. It's our hearts. Notice it doesn't say, as it said with justice, it doesn't say do justice. What does it say with mercy? you got to what? Love mercy you got to love it. What are the things you love in your life? Who, who do you love in your life? Do you love the people that you know, don't you? Oh, I love Justin Bieber or somebody. You know, you don't. You don't know him. I don't know. I don't even, Justin even matter anymore. I don't think he does. Got the youth over here. Now, you don't actually, you can't love someone you don't know, can you? So if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give mercy and, and, and love it, that means that the one that's receiving mercy is somebody I'm going to I'm gonna have to get dirty with. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. That sounds weird. Let's erase that. <laughs> if he's a good Samaritan, if I'm the good Samaritan, he's dirty on the road, I'm going to have to get, in that sense, dirty. Forgive me. I'm going to have to get involved with them, aren't I? I'm going to have to know them. I'm going to have to know their personal stuff. I'm going to have to do life with them. My heart is going to have to get tangled up with them. Or I'm not doing what this says. I'm not doing what this says. It, I have to love mercy, it says. You can, as they say, fake it until you make it, and then you can make yourself do it, and you still won't be doing what it says. It says you're supposed to love it. And until you love it, you won't do it. You won't do it. Matthew 9, Jesus gives us a better, I think, an understanding of mercy and loving kindness that, he spoke, that is spoken of here in Micah. Uh, what, he, what he's looking for. Matthew, Matthew 9, in, in the third of the way down there in Matthew 9, is a story of a situation in which Jesus has just the previous day or the previous week gone along the road there in Galilee and came across a, 
a booth of a tax collector, and this is tax season. I don't know if you're getting your taxes together. My wife and I are trying to get our taxes together, but taxes are not necessarily our favorite time, are they? Because you've got to pay. Well, back then, back then, the tax collectors were actually Jewish people, like in the case of Matthew, who worked for the enemy. You say, well, how is that different than the IRS? And I'm kind of with you on that. Sort of with you, sort of like I can feel that. I can feel where they are with that. You know, and we have IRS agents. I won't ask you to show your hands, although. <laughs> and so he goes along and finds Matthew at a tax collecting booth, and Matthew's working for the enemy, and he says amazing thing to Matthew, come and follow me. He becomes one of his disciples. It says Matthew leaves his practice right there. And within a day or a couple of days, he has Jesus over to his house because he, he wants to invite all his running buddies over to, to see, to speak to this man who, who is saving him and calling him into this special ministry. And who are Matthew's buddies? Nobody but the people like him because I'm sure, I can assure you, no one else ran with him. No one would associate with this man. He's a part of the enemy. He's worse than the enemy. He's one of our blood, Jewish blood. And he's serving the, the emperor of Rome who's taxing us, who's got his boot heel on us. We hate him. More than they did the Samaritans, they hated the, the tax collectors, to be sure. And so Jesus is invited to this party, and what does he do? Well, he stands outside with a pulpit right in front of him. He begins to preach to these sinners. Everyone who wants to come over here across this line, is that what he does? What does it say? Notice. Now, what happened is Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. This was, can you say, unexpected? I believe we can say that. And the Pharisees pointed out for us, notice. And the Pharisees saw it and they said to the, why does your teacher, why does the rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not where you'd expect to find one of those guys. They would be separate from that. Those guys were, by the way, they're on the outside of the house looking in. They're not going in. They would have never gone in. And by the way, also those guys were, it's right back to home here in Matthew, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. They were the guys who were willing to sacrifice rivers of oil, all kinds of animals, even their own flesh and blood. They were religious as they could possibly be, never missed a worship service, always upping their giving, always making sure everybody knew about it too. Always. They were religious. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to give. They were willing to stand outside this house, I can assure you, and preach to the sinners on the inside, but they were not going to go in. So they're blown away of this unexpected move of a rabbi, of a teacher. They would go into a place like this. And, and Jesus goes, and it comes, like I said, it comes right down with, to it with regards to Micah. It, it happened as Jesus sat there among the table. Why does your teacher do this with, with uh, tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, notice, makes this statement. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go, he says, and learn, notice, back to what we're talking about here, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a verse I would, I'll confess to you as a pastor I've always had a problem with because I've never really understood it. I mean, I want to, but I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, they're not commanded the Old Testament sacrifice, yes, okay. So then they don't sacrifice, they show mercy, but what's the difference? Go and learn this, and I've never been really able to learn this. And part of my problem was, is the Pharisees, by the way, needed to go somewhere because they were off of it. 
But had they stayed there and paid attention to what he was doing, the interpretation of what he says here is bound up in the very act that he's committing right there in front of them. He is showing them what he wants them to do. What is he doing with these people? He's not standing outside. Could not Jesus swoop in and heal people? Could he not come in and feed people? Could he not come in and, and teach? He did that on a regular basis. It was a sacrifice, if you will, to his schedule, but there was no interaction between him and any particular thousands of people gathered around him. One after another, heal after heal after heal after healing after healing after healing after healing after feeding after feeding after thousands of people. No personal interaction with those people. There was a time for that in his ministry. There was also a time for mercy in his ministry, and you're looking at it. You're looking at it. Here is Jesus doing the unexpected. And how does he do the unexpected? He gets right in the middle of them, doesn't he? They're eating out of the same bowl passed in front of them. They're leaning, touching each other. He's speaking to them, learning their names, hearing their stories, seeing their faces, personal interaction. He gives them respect, the, the respect as much as he gives any person, the, the dignity that he gives uh, any person. He's across the table for them. He spends time with them, quality time. They're not at arm's length. They're embraced. Listen to me. To love mercy and choose it over sacrifice, we're going to have to get involved. We're going to have to tangle up our hearts. You're going to have to get dirty if they are. You're going to have to go where they go. You're going to have to hear their stories. You're going to have to understand, how, how are you going to love somebody that you don't know? How are you going to love mercy? Unless I don't know them, you see. I have to know them. I have to hear them. I have to get involved and see the real humanity behind this person who is so in need of God's kindness that is going to flow through me. And I can't do that, listen, by throwing money at them. And I can't do that, and I'm not doing that when I throw money to someone else to go and do what God has called me to do with them either. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever do that. Obviously, you, I can't go to the whole world, and so I need to be giving and sending and praying and sending others. But if that's all I ever do, listen, I'm not doing what this says. i got to get down where they are and see what they're going through. Or I am not, I'm not loving mercy. I'm not showing the loving kindnesses of God. Not until sacrifice is no longer the issue and personal love for others is the driving force. Not until then, not until then am I doing what this says. It's not once or twice a year. It can't be accomplished that way. It's not a season of doing something suitable for an occasional sacrifice. It's moving beyond that into doing life with people and hurting when they hurt and rejoicing when they rejoice and experiencing life with them. It's not until I'm doing that that I'm showing the loving kindnesses of God. Not until. So to whom are you doing that with? Where it's unexpected. That's the place where God is calling you. Inconvenient mercy. Love that comes from the relations with people to whom God loves. That's his call for us. Please pay, bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I thank you that all that you've asked us to do, you've already done. God, how involved have you become with us? 
How much have you become tangled up in our mess? How much have you found us on the roadside of life, bleeding and half alive, and you rearranged your schedule for us? You became dirty for us. Our difficulties you took upon yourself, our troubles, our inabilities, you paid the way for us. You became one of us, Lord, showing the loving kindness of God, showing the great mercy of God. You came to know us personally, not just sending someone else. You sent yourself. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we give, as we sacrifice, we would also remember that you called us something beyond that, to mercy, to loving kindness, to the unexpected. God, I thank you that that which is unexpected in our world, you are expecting of us. Help us to hear it in our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.